0: Have you ever taken a detour? A detour is a deviation from a direct course or a usual procedure. A detour is a deviation from the direct course or a usual procedure. We've all had to take detours at different times in our life. This morning, as I was on my way here, to, to church, There are very few people on the road at, at the time I come to church on Sunday morning, um, and uh, as I'm coming off of the expressway, the, uh, the 168 expressway from Great Bridge, and I'm making my way onto 64 going toward uh, Greenbrier, uh, there was detour. I couldn't get on 64. They kept me on the feeder road because they were doing something. And it kind of blew my mind a little bit because that's not something that I normally do. I'm usually kind of in autopilot. Uh, and because of these big uh, barrels, they wanted to make sure that I went a different direction. Uh, good news is it led me right back after I got uh, uh, past Battlefield. It said, you know, this way to 64. So I got, went over the overpass and got back on 64 and I made my way here. We've all had to take detours at different times, but sometimes the detours that we take can end in disaster. Uh, On July 30th, 1998, the pilot of the Proteus Airlines Flight 706 wanted to give the 19 passengers in that uh, airplane a treat. As they were flying toward Lyon, France, they decided that they would make a detour. It was a slight detour, a small detour, uh, so that the passengers on the flight could see La France, Uh, not the country, but the ocean liner. Uh, The famous USS France, or not USS France, that wouldn't be it, but La France, uh, they decided they were going to a uh, uh, detour, descend below 3,000 feet, circle uh, the ocean liner so everybody in the plane could see it. The only problem was while they were looking at the ocean liner, uh, a little Cessna uh, decided that he was going toward the ocean liner as well. And in a tragic mid-air collision, that Proteus Flight 706 was cut in half and everybody died. The detour towards something that was delightful ended in disaster. Perhaps the most famous detour that ended badly Uh, at least in American history, would be the Donner Party. Y'all have heard of the Donner-Reed Party? Uh, Not Donna Reed, but the Donner-Reed Party. Late 1800s, this group of about 90 people left Independence, Missouri with their cattle and oxen and horses and uh, wagons, and they were making their way to California because that's where the gold was. They had read a guidebook uh, from a guy named Hastings, and this guidebook said that once they get uh, to a particular place, uh, they could uh, take a shortcut, a detour, off of the California Trail that was tried and true, and take this new East Hastings Cut-Off, and they would, they would uh, cut off 300 miles from their journey. The only problem with that was that Hastings, who uh, had found this cutoff, had only tried this cutoff in best conditions one time. So the 90 members of the Donna Reed party decided that they were going to take that cutoff. They had been warned that it wasn't tested, wasn't tried, wasn't proven. But because they wanted to save 300 miles, get to California faster... They took the detour. Over half the Donner-Reed party uh, was lost in that detour. In fact, uh, one of the survivors, a 13-year-old named Virginia Reed, wrote in 1847 to her cousin Mary, and this is the advice she gave Mary. She said, never take no cutoffs. And hurry along as fast as you can. Detours can be disastrous. This morning as we look at 1 John chapter 2, we see a couple of things. We see that God has given those who belong to Him a straight path to a confident life. He's made all the things necessary for you and for me to live in security, in confidence. But there are detours that can distract us that will lead us to disaster. In 1 John chapter 2, we hear a simple truth that we live we must live in the security that God gives and reject the detours that lead to disaster. Now, there are going to be detours that we're going to talk about before we talk about that. I want us to see the security that God gives us. It's found in this kind of parenthesis that John writes. Uh, He's just finished talking about, uh, first part of chapter 2, he says, I write these things to you that you might not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and He Himself is the payment price for our sin. He goes on, and in verses uh, 3 through 11, He tells us that that we need to uh, set our eyes straight on the things that lead us to life, that we need to be honest about our sin. Uh, we need to come clean about our sin. We need to acknowledge it. We need to uh, repent, confess and repent of our sin. And now, in a parenthesis, it, it doesn't seem to fit, but it does. Here's what John writes. Look at verses 12 through 14. He says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for His namesake. I write to you, fathers, In these verses, we see that we have security through our relationship with God. Now, he, he divides that in different ways, but ultimately what he's saying is you and I can have security, a direct line to confident living. We have security uh, through our relationship with God. Now, let's kind of break this down a little bit now, before we get down to it he he writes to little children he likes writes to fathers uh, and he writes to young men now what is the breakdown in all that are those different people in the church are those uh, people by age in other words are these little children in terms of uh, uh uh Nora is a little child my granddaughter she'd be a little child you know is he talking to little children in that way is he talking to fathers like me? I have children, so he's talking to me. I have fathers. And young men, he's talking to me because I'm still a young man. Amen. No, that, he's not talking about age. He's not talking about uh, life experience. Uh, he's talking about the church. Anytime you see John say, uh, my little children, he's talking about the church as a whole. When he talks about fathers, he's probably talking about those who have been followers of Jesus for some time. And when he talks about young men, he's talking about those who have been followers of Jesus for some time, but not as long as the elders. He's not just talking about men, he's talking about women. This is the language of the ancient church that they used male pronouns to describe everybody. Uh, But he's talking about the church at large. Now, we can break this apart. And, and see how security comes to those who belong to Christ by looking at children and, and fathers or elders and young men. But what I want you to see is not to whom he's writing, understanding that we all kind of fit the category, but more understand what he's writing and what he's declaring. So as we, as we see that we have security... Uh, in our relationship with God. We have security in this life because we have a relationship with God. Uh, I, I want you to see that we have security in the forgiveness that God provides. We have security in the forgiveness that God provides. This is the first statement that John writes to the church and to you and to me. He says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. Through faith, In Jesus Christ, who himself is the payment price for our sin, we are forgiven. And this is the gospel, and this is the very thing that makes us part of God's family. You and I would not be part of God's family if we did not have our sins forgiven. Our sin is what has separated us from God. What has led on a spiraling course of despair every single day. What leads so many people in our world today to hopelessness is not that their circumstances stink. All of us have experienced seasons when our circumstances stink. What leads to hopelessness is living in this world without God. But when we have our sins forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ... We're brought into fellowship with God. In verse 14, he says, again, I write to you, little children, for you have known him. When we enter into a relationship with God through the forgiveness of sin that Jesus purchased for us, we enter into this wondrous landscape of living secured by our heavenly Father, God himself. You're here today and maybe you're dealing with insecurities of your everyday life. Insecurities in your emotions, insecurities in your circumstances, insecurities in a pandemic that you can't control, insecurities in a whole number of different things. But friends, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I've got good news. Your sins have been forgiven and you have relationship with God. Relationship with God is not some distant idea. It's not just some philosophical pursuit. Relationship with God is where you and I live in intimate fellowship with the creator of the cosmos. Again, this isn't something that we created. It's something that God has done for us. In verse 2, when John says that Jesus himself is the propitiation for our sin, he's talking about Jesus being the payment price. For our sin, if our sin has separated us from God, it takes God doing something to pay that debt so that we can be forgiven. And that's exactly what he did in Christ. Jesus, who is and always has been God, left heaven's throne room, uh, removed the royal robes, and slipped into the sandals of humanity. Jesus, who is fully God, became fully human And he lived his life in perfect obedience to God, never knowing sin. And he went to a cross to die for your sin in your place, so that through faith in him, trusting in him, you and I might be forgiven. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit of life. You and I have been set free. We have been forgiven. We're no longer chained to the cell of our sin, but now we are walking in fellowship with God Himself. We are secure because we've been forgiven. We we find security not only through forgiveness, we find security through experience. Now, here's one thing that I would say about the difference between mature and not mature elders versus young men. And the only thing I would say about that is the longer you walk with God, the more you know how God walks. The longer you walk with God, the more you know. I mean, you know, He'll take care of me. The longer you walk with God, the more you have experienced His glorious work of rescuing love in your life. All of us as followers of Christ have tasted that. But the longer you do it, the more you trust it. That's why this is not a function of age because some of us in the room are older in age, but we haven't been walking with God long enough to give us security In our experience, somewhere along the line, we decided that it's okay for us to follow a different path or walk a detour. And so we hesitate when it comes to trusting God. We hesitate because we haven't experienced His faithfulness. When He says, I write to you uh, elders or fathers, He's saying, I'm writing to you because you have known Him from the very beginning. You have known him. You've experienced him. You have walked with him. Do you realize that that is an opportunity that God gives every single one of us who are followers of Christ? He gives us the opportunity to experience his faithfulness in everyday living. Can I tell you good news? All my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. Oh, friends, that experience of walking with God day by day His faithfulness, even in the face of my unfaithfulness, gives me security. As I walk into the unknown of tomorrow, we have security in forgiveness. We have security in experience. We have security in victory. You see what he wrote to the young men. He said it twice. He said, I write to you, young man, for you have overcome the world. Wow, that's a beautiful picture of the victory, not that we have garnered, not a victory that young men have gotten because they're young and they're strong. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm older now, older than I was when I came here as pastor. Duh. Uh, and, and as I've entered into my older age, not old age, but my older age, I've discovered that what I used to be able to do to get in shape pretty quick I can no longer do in the same time frame and so if I go a period of time and I eat my desserts and if you don't know about my desserts get on my Facebook page and just scroll and get on my Instagram page and just scroll uh, I love desserts and used to I could eat those desserts and and uh, and and do my regular uh, routine of exercise and I would still be fit but as I've gotten older It takes a little bit longer for me to get fit, make up for those desserts that I love to eat. That in some way is the picture of young men, but I don't think that's really what John's talking about here. I think he's talking about people who have a passion for God, who are zealous, who have uh, that vigor of life who believe with almost a naive faith that when Jesus said in John 16, 33, I write to you that my peace might be in you. In the world you'll have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, Jesus said. These young men... Uh, these these members of God's family, they're living each day according to that promise. And when the enemy, the, the, the hostility of, of the devil himself comes roaming down the pathway, they stand firm in the victory that Jesus has already given to us. Oh, that we would live in that victory. I'm an optimist at heart, aren't you? Well, some of you are and some of you aren't. The reason I know some of you aren't is because we've had conversations. There's no shame in not being an optimist like me. I'm sometimes unrealistic in my optimism. And sometimes you're unrealistic in your pessimism. But can I tell you one thing that never changes? That no matter how fierce the foes that we face as followers of Jesus Christ, Jesus has already gained the victory. So you and I as followers of Christ must live each day as though we are walking in victory because that's exactly what we're doing. We don't have to walk around head down, uh, 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 scared and, and fearful timid, and tame, we can be like young lions roaming to and fro, living in the victory that Jesus has given us. It's not for nothing that Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave. And it's not only for the new life and the resurrected life that he promises us, but it's so that you and I might live with the confident expectation of the victory that he provides every single day. And we have security through our relationship with God. He's forgiven us. We have security through our relationship with God. Uh, He has given us an experience of His faithfulness. We have security in our relationship with God because we walk in the victory. Do you know what else gives us security? It's the Word of God. We have security in the very Word of God. Look again at what John wrote. He said uh, in verse 14, he said, I write to you, Young men, because you are strong and the Word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. The Word of God abides in you. It's the Word of God that gives us confidence to step out in the morning in the face of a cold chill of circumstance it's God's word that gives us the comfort and the consolation and the direction and the compass that we need to walk true north it is God's word that sets a path for us that lights the way for us it is God's word that makes us strong One of the reasons so many followers of Jesus are living such limping, impotent lives is because we're not taking any time in God's Word and allowing God's Word to abide in us, to dwell in us, to soak its roots deep in our soul so that the first thought we have at the face of lions and tigers and bears is not, oh my, but oh goodness, what does God's Word say about that? Today, we need to spend time in God's Word. Now friends, if you're not... Uh, allowing God's Word to abide in your heart, uh, then you are more susceptible to the detours that will come our way. We have security through our relationship with God. The second thing that we see in this passage is that uh, we must not choose a detour that leads to disaster and scuttles our security. There are detours that lead to disaster for us, like the Donner Party or like the pilot of that uh, 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 flight 706. We can take detours that lead to disaster, and not just for us, but for those around us. Can I tell you, I've taken those detours before, and it's led to tragic circumstances. Detours its where we get off the path We start going our own way. Verses 15 through 17, listen to how John describes it. He says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the desire of it. But he who does the will of God abides Forever, there's uh, a crossroads that we face every day throughout the day, and it's a crossroad of our of our affections. The question is, will we set our heart more on the things of the world than we will God Himself? We don't have to make it more complicated than that. It's really not. Uh, the psalmist David began the entire book of Psalms with this idea of competing affections. In Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, he said, "'Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But blessed is the man who delights himself in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does will prosper.'" See, you wake up this morning and you have a choice between putting your affections on the things of God or allowing your affections for the things of the world to lead you down a detour. It's the detour of affections. What has captured your heart more? God himself or the things of this world? Now, John's not in any way suggesting that we should hate Um, people in the world or hate lions or fish or birds or cars. He's not talking about that kind of thing. He's talking about this cosmic sense of the world as a realm of evil. He's talking about things that are contrary to the will of God. He's talking about the things that you and I face, the temptations that come our way that compete for our affections. You remember what Jesus said about loving him? He said, if you don't love me uh, more than you love your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, you can't be a follower of mine. You remember that? That's a a strong word, right? Now, why would he say that? Now, he wasn't suggesting that we hate our mothers or our fathers or our brothers or our sisters or our cousins. He wasn't suggesting that. He's just saying that in the economy of our life, in the daily routine, in the things that we do, say, think, and feel, we must love him more more? Do you love God more? If you love God more, verse 17 is what applies. He who does the will of God abides forever. You don't take detours. You don't take the detour of affection that leads to uh, giving your heart, your passions to things other than God in place of God. Anytime we give our affections to something or someone to replace our affection for God, it dismantles our security and it leads to disaster, the detour of affections. There's the detour of desires. The detour of desires. Now, when I think of uh, desires, I think of uh, little fly bugs like this. Now, y'all know I love to fish, and so I tied this up this morning in my study. Um, I made this little bug. It's a, a, a woolly booger. Everybody say woolly booger. If you're at home, say woolly booger. You might not feel comfortable saying that, but that's what that is. It's a woolly booger. Now, I can take this. I made this one special. I put pink on it because. I just think it looks pretty. This lure is designed to trick a fish of any sort, hook them, catch them, and for some of you weird people out there, fillet them and cook them. I just want to catch, make them suffer, and let them go. that's what that's designed for. When John says, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes, or the lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes, he's talking about the detour of our desires. The detour of our desires says that if I feel it, then I'm going to chase it. Now, if, if, if I Feel that this is a way that I can go and satisfy some internal thing that I have itching at my soul, I can chase after that, and the problem is I'll be captured by it, of the flesh is simply any appetite that we have that leads us away from God. It doesn't have to be a bad thing, it really doesn't have to be a bad thing. It can be anything that appeals to our senses but draws us away from God being our first priority, His will being our primary pursuit. We feel it, so we chase it. We see it, so we pursue it. The lust of the eyes. The desires of the eyes probably best illustrated by Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, where Eve was standing before the tree of knowledge and good and evil, the tree that God said you can eat any other fruit of any other tree but this one. And Eve's looking at that tree and she sees its fruit. And it says, the scripture says, that she saw the fruit that it was pleasant to the eyes and good to eat. So she took it and she ate it even though God told her not to. How many of us have seen something with our eyes even though God told us not to take it we have. It's a detour every single day. If I was in a men's conference we would have some real talk about these detours. I wouldn't know what to say to women, but I can talk to men about this stuff. Truth, anytime you let your eyes wander toward a path that is inconsistent with the will of God, you are dismantling the security that God has provided for you. You're choosing insecurity for life. The hook digs deep. And for some of us, we will always walk with a limp in our life because we chose to chase what we saw. The detour of desires, the detour of affections. And then the third one is the detour of pride. Now, can I tell you... Pride is the queen of all sin. The Bible says that God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. So what is pride? What is the pride of life? Pride is where we think so much of ourselves that we act like we don't need God. Or that he doesn't even come into the equation. You might say, well, that's not me. Yeah, but think about your everyday life. I mean, think about every decision you make. Where is God in those decisions? And think about the words you say. Where is God before you say those words? Well, I don't need God to tell me how to, oh, but we do. See, the only reason we have confidence in what we say or what we think or how we live is because God has forgiven us because God has given us an experience of His faithfulness, because God has given us victory through Christ, because God has given us strength through His Word, because God has given us Himself. And when we stiff-arm God and say, God, I really don't need you today, we're taking a detour that scuttles our security and ends up in disaster. As some of you are going through the daily Bible reading uh, that we as a church have, been, have adopted, you may be behind. You can always catch up. Don't worry about being behind. That's not a big deal. Uh, but if you're, if you're caught up and you're reading, I haven't read today's, but if you're caught up in reading, you know that yesterday and the day before, Jesus is telling parables and giving teaching. And throughout these parables and this teaching, he says over and over again, the first shall be last. He says... Eric's paraphrase, either be humble or be humbled. Can can, can I suggest that some of us, we need to be humble before we are humbled? There's a detour that leads to destruction. And it's anything that leads us away from the will of God revealed in His Word. Unleashed in our lives by His Holy Spirit. So today I just want to encourage you and challenge you to live in the security that God gives and reject the detours that scuttle our security and lead to disaster. So how are you going to live today and tomorrow and the next day? See, what I've taught is good, and that's, it's, it's good, but you don't want to end up being like the Donner Party. Overwhelmed with disaster, leading to bad decision upon bad decision upon bad decision, becoming a byword and a password of absolute horrific actions. Because of Christ, we don't have to be. if you're a follower of Jesus and you have taken a detour, I beg you today to get off that cutoff and get back into the path that God has made. See God in all of His holiness. Don't rationalize your detour. Don't don't pretend like it doesn't matter. See God in all of His holiness. Admit your sinfulness, go ahead and acknowledge it. God already knows. He's waiting for you to go ahead and come clean about it. Confess it as sin, repent of it, and then trust Jesus to set you back on course toward a satisfying, secure life. Let's bow our heads together. Father, right now, thank You for loving us enough to give us Your Word which directs our steps and gives us insight on how to live in the security that You provide. I pray that according to Your Spirit, speaking through Your Word this morning, that You would show us the detours that we've chosen to take in our lives, and that we would Uh, Throughout the rest of this week, every day, consider those detours and reject them outright. That we would find our security based upon our relationship with you, that I'm forgiven for my sin, no longer living in condemnation and shame, that I can live each day experiencing your faithful love pursuing me, that I can live each day because of my faithful walk with you and the victory that you've already gained, that I can live each day by the strength that your word provides. that I might do your will and not walk a detour that leads to disaster. Now speak to us. Work in our hearts and bring about a revival in your church. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.